If Signor Leonardo be her father, she would not have his head on her shoulders for all Messina, as like him as she is. I wonder that you will still be talking, Signor Benedict. Nobody marks you. What? My dear lady, disdain. Are you yet living? Is it possible disdain should die while she have such meat food to feed it as Signor Benedict? Courtesy itself must convert to disdain if you come in her presence. Then is courtesy a turncoat. But it is certain I am loved of all ladies, only you accepted. And I would I could find in my heart that I had not a hard heart. For truly, I love none. Oh, a dear happiness to women. They would else have been troubled with a pernicious suitor. I thank God and my cold blood. I am of your humor for that. I had rather hear my dog bark at a crow than a man swear he loves me. God keep your ladyship still in that mind, so some gentleman or other shall scape a predestinate scratched face. <laughs> Scratching could not make it worse, and twere such a face as yours were. Well, you are a rare parrot teacher. A bird of my tongue is better than a beast of yours. I would my horse had the speed of your tongue, but keep your way. In God's name, I have done. Oh, you always end with a jade's trick. I know you of old. Lady Beatrice... Have you wept all this while? Yea, and I will weep a while longer. I will not desire that. You have no reason. I do it freely. Surely I do believe your fair cousin is wrong. <laughs> How much might the man deserve of me that would write her? Is there any way to show such friendship? A, a very even way. But no such friend. May a man do it. It is a man's office, but not yours. I do love nothing in the world so well as you. Is not that strange? As strange as the thing I know not. It were as possible for me to say I love nothing so well as you, but but believe me not, and, and yet I lie not. I confess nothing... No, nor I deny nothing. I, I am sorry for my cousin. By my sword, Beatrice, thou lovest me. Do not swear and eat it. I will swear by it that you love me, and I will make him eat it that says I love not you. Will you not eat your word? With no sauce that can be devised to it. I protest. I love thee. Why, then, God forgive me. What offense, sweet Beatrice. You have stayed me in a happy hour. I was about to protest. I love you with so much of my heart that none is left to protest. Come, bid me do anything for thee. Kill Claudia. <laughs> Not for the wide world. You kill me to deny it. Farewell. Terry, sweet Beatrice. You dare? He easier be friends with me than fight with mine enemy. Is Claudio thine enemy? Is he not approved in the height of villain that has slandered, scorned, dishonored my kinswoman? 
God, that I were a man, I would eat his heart in the marketplace. Sweet hero, she is wrong, she is slandered, she is undone. Oh, that I were a man for his sake. Or that I had any friends would be a man for my sake. But manhood is melted into courtesies, valor into compliment, and men are only turned into tongue and trim ones too. I cannot be a man with wishing, therefore I will die a woman with grieving. Terry, good Beatrice, by this hand I love thee. Use it for my love some other way than swearing by it. Think you in your soul that Count Claudio hath wronged here. Yea. As sure as I have a thought or a soul. Enough. I am engaged. By this hand, Claudio shall render me a dear account. Go, comfort your cousin. I must say she is dead, and so farewell. Hello, listeners. You're tuning into the Bardcast Weekly with Will Kemp's Players. You just heard Shea Fitzgerald as Beatrice and Michael Lake as Benedict, performing excerpts from Much Ado About Nothing, Act 1, Scene 1, and Act 4, Scene 1. Your hosts, as always, are myself, Rob Johnson, Phil Beatty. Hello. And Shea Fitzgerald. Hey! Michael Lake joins us again today in conversation. Hello again. And our Spotlight Artist of the Week is Shane Sespankowski. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll bring you some excerpts of Shakespeare scenes followed by a lively discussion with some of our players on dramatic themes, relevance of work, and how we take this stuff to performance as an original practices worker-owned co-op. Shane. Yes. Question one. (laughs) How did you come to Shakespeare performance and the original practices technique? Well, that sounds like a two-part question to me. The first time I was introduced to Shakespeare was back in high school. I had a director in my theater class. In my English class, we actually had to decide whether we were going to read Shakespeare or if we were going to read the Odyssey. That was the choice we were given. My class chose the Odyssey. So I didn't experience Shakespeare until uh, Mr. Nelson, who just retired this year. So perhaps if he listens to this, happy retirement. But I did, what scene did I do? I think it was Midsummer, the treat me like a dog scene. Oh, that's a good one. So I got to do that scene. uh, And then it sort of disappeared out of my life for a lot of years. And like many people in Will Kemp's players, I met Sandra Boynton at Schenectady County Community College, who really introduced me to what Shakespeare could be, not what high school perceived it to be for me. And from there, it just kind of exploded. Um, I did a lot of shows with her. I did a lot of shows around the area and then decided to move down to Virginia to get my master's degree in Shakespeare and performance. And now that I've done that, I am excited to come up and direct Much Ado About Nothing next year for Will Kemp's Players. We did have to postpone it this year. Um, but I look forward to having an extra year to work on it. Thanks, COVID. (laughs) I'm still very, very, very psyched for that. And I think that's what's making today's episode really cool, um, is that uh, all of our listeners got a taste last week of what it means to kind of look back and reflect on what you did in a production and a performance that may have felt really successful. Whereas now we're looking forward towards something that we've only really just started to think about and work on as a company. So there's a really cool little little teaser effect there um, 
there's a lot of fun stuff to come in regards to Much Ado. Uh, I know I'm, like I said, I'm super psyched to start working on it when the time is right and there's not a plague on. And I'm, I'm really excited to get to, to chat with Shane today because uh, today, honestly, is actually kind of our, our first go round talking about Much Ado and, and how he thinks about it. So I am personally just really excited for that from an acting perspective. So Shane, uh, I understand that you kind of wanted to bring us something interesting today in that um, you know, you're a director who really likes working in the rehearsal room um, and with actors. And so you wanted to give everyone kind of a little taste of what that's like. So I guess what our listeners is, are gonna be hearing at the top of this episode is the final scene. Uh, but what you're gonna be hearing right now is us getting a chance to work on that scene as we talk to Shane and hear more about his artistic process. I am super stoked. What we're gonna do today is do a sort of side-by-side -side comparison of two different Beatrice and Benedict scenes. Uh, we're going to do the, the first scene where the boys are returning from war and Beatrice has an earful for Benedict. And then the second scene we'll, we will be looking at is the scene where Beatrice famously asks Benedict to kill Claudio. Uh, I thought it would be fun to look at those scenes side-by-side -side and really see the similarities and differences in how they talk to each other in these sort of different formats. One being a very sort of flirty format. Uh, they're both pretty flirty, actually, in a very odd way, but we can sort of get to that when we get into it. Flirty in the time of happiness and flirty in the time of tragedy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are some, there's some sexual tension in that scene about killing Claudio. Oh yeah, Claudio. different vibes, different, different oh, yeah. vibes, but very much uh, still, still into the same thing. Before we do the scenes, um, Shane, did you want to give a brief overview of the show? Much Ado About Nothing is sort of a love story between Beatrice and Benedict, and uh, a lot of love triangles happening in this play. Hero and Claudio are probably the most Romeo and Juliet of the relationships in this play. They seem to be very much in in love with each other, maybe lost their young, you know, no judgment. Mm -hmm. Little babies, mm -hmm. little babies. But as the play progresses, uh, the antagonist in the play sort of uh, creates a storyline in which this innocent little hero is believed to be a whore. Spoilers, that is not true. Also um, spoilers, slut-shaming is wrong. Slut-shaming is very wrong. And Beatrice mm -hmm. understands that. <laughs> Uh, and, and I think there's a couple ways to address that in the text, actually, where you give Hero a little bit of agency in sort of that end conversation where her father sort of gives her away as a new person and she still has to marry Claudio, who slut-shamed her. I know of a production uh, that did a slap at the end of the show uh, where Hero sort of got her come up or where Claudio gets his comeuppance and uh, Hero gets to biff him in the face a little oh, bit. That's actually, I, I kind of like that. I know, it's a really it, strong choice and anytime you can hit someone on stage, you do And it. it's, you know, it can be done, it can be done as well without necessarily doing a disservice to, you know, the actual written tone of the piece because, because exactly. it's something that, you know, that kind of anger and fury can also accompany a feeling of forgiveness and a feeling of, you know, accepting, stepping forward and, and moving on. And I think there's a decent amount of physical violence in this oh, show. Yeah. I know that it tends to be played as a pretty lighthearted love story, 
But when you dive into some of the dogberry material, some of the Conrad bad guy stuff, there is there is a lot of talk about uh, physical violence and how that yeah. that manifests between men and women, and how that how that not only manifests physically but also verbally in conversation. Right, exactly. That's a really good thought about the kind of social dynamics and gender dynamics in the show, which I think is one of my favorite parts of it because it does so much subverting of many typical assumptions about social roles of that time. Especially with Beatrice. Yeah, and for me it's really interesting to examine the ways in which she does choose to toe the line and the ways in which that makes her more able to push boundaries when she wants to. Which is pretty rarely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting comparison in the way that I think many women still today kind of have to do that balance of that, that balancing act of, all right, if I behave indecorously in this situation, I'm justified in doing so because I, I wasn't, you know, unladylike in these other contexts. I think yeah. many of the motifs in this show resonate um, still today. Oh, absolutely. Pretty loudly, as do a lot of Shakespeare's plays. I think that's why they're so renowned and timeless. But Much Ado really speaks to a lot of female agendas that yes. need to be addressed. Yes, and I mean, I completely agree with that because the thing that always really strikes me about this is the hero and Claudio conflict and how there are a, there are very direct responses to that from coming from at least a few different angles um and that kind of really presents uh the the context of that story in a way that is very very parallel to i think a way the way many many different contexts you know still come come to light in this day and age and in addition to that i think the sisterhood between hero and beatrice is pretty timeless um and the way in which beatrice is really willing to go to bat for her in the face of men trying to and, downplay her And not her just honor. Beatrice, but also the uh, the maids. Yes, yes, um, absolutely. You know, there is no shortage of women in the show getting to speak on stage. Um, yeah. <laughs> and for those of you looking forward to our production coming up in 2021, um, while Mike Lake was spe- uh, performing the lines of Benedict, at the beginning of this podcast, he will not be playing uh, Benedict. Mike Lake, would you care to share uh, the role you have been cast in as, during know. this Much Ado adventure? Oh, I don't know. Is it is it spoilers? Is, are we allowed to announce it here? Is this is this is this is this cool? <laughs> no, yeah. So so much in Shakespeare's time, men, often young men, younger men than myself, would play women because women weren't technically allowed to play but uh men would play women and um and in that tradition i'll be playing margaret lady margaret lady in waiting to hero uh who gets to be free for a woman of the time and i absolutely cannot wait we'll also be doing some fun other things uh centered around margaret but i think maybe we'll leave that for for a little bit of a surprise for what's going in store for Margaret's character. Yeah, that's a good bit to say. I, I like that. I think a fun thing that our Shakespeare company does in terms of um, cross-gender casting like that is that our interpretation in this day and age of what original practices means is that we have retained the element in which 
actors are playing roles that may not necessarily align with the gender of the actor, but they are playing those roles as the gender of the character. For example, we had Jocelyn portray Hamlet last year, and she wasn't playing- Jocelyn was a kick-ass Oh, Hamlet. she was, and she didn't play Hamlet as a woman. She played Hamlet as the, you know, the man in which she was written in that story, uh, but she did so from the context of being a woman who acts. So I think that's a really interesting and exciting way to modernize the idea of men playing women back in Shakespeare's day and to bring it up to contemporary standards as something that is very much still in the tradition, but just kind of somewhat more inclusive for this day and age. And I don't know how controversial you really want to get with this podcast, <laughs> but the the premise that women were not allowed to be on stage during that time is actually uh, not true. Really? Um, now, uh, am... that is not a thesis I wrote, um, but that is a thesis that was written during the time of me being uh, in my school years. Uh, I do have access to that, and I would be more than happy to share it with, I'm sure even anyone in the audience, um, uh, Jessica, I don't remember her last name off the top of my head, uh, Sharemeister, Jessica Ooh, Sharemeister. Nice. I would really like to um, read more about okay. that as well. I mean, I'm assuming uh, yeah, it, it was, had more to do with social expectations and, and social boundaries. And there. that's why they weren't on stage, mm -hmm. but it wasn't a, a rule, it wasn't a law. Uh, there were certainly companies that had women in them. They were just obviously We should obviously qualify where it's allowed, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so it's not a Shakespeare in love situation we're looking at here as well. No, 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 no. That was that was very dramatized, a bit anachronistic. That's fascinating. So let's go ahead. Uh, as a director, I tend to be a little more start and stop. Uh, I'll try to sort of do my best to keep that organized in this digital format. Um, there might be a little bit of a learning curve to that, uh, but. I would just say let's let's go ahead and I'll give you a little brief of where you are coming from uh, and then hop into it. I'll listen to a little bit. I'll stop a little bit. We'll go back. We'll do some work. We'll, we'll play with it. See what happens. Cool. Let's get started. We are starting halfway through the scene. Um, the scene begins with a messenger coming into town to tell Leonardo and his town that the boys are coming back from war. Uh, Beatrice has a bit of a witty repartee with this uh, messenger. And then the boys show up. And as always, Benedict has a little more to say than was written down for him. So Beatrice decides to sort of put him in his place. And whenever you guys are ready, go for it. If Senor Leonardo be her father, she would not have his head on her shoulders for all Messina as like him as she is. I wonder that you will still be talking, Senor Benedict. Nobody marks you. What, my dear Lady Disdain, are you yet living? This is a great spot to stop right away. Cool. You know, in a rehearsal room, I probably would have stopped you after your first, like, five words. But I think there is, uh, there's something really interesting here to look at. The use of people's names. Right off the top, we have Benedict referring to Signor Leonardo. Now, there's a lot to sort of break down here, because not only is this a really smart-ass remark about cuckoldry, it also sort of has to be, there has to be a level of respect on that name because of who he is speaking to. There's a sort of reverence that needs to be acknowledged in that. Right. And then that continues with Beatrice. Beatrice gets to say Senor Benedict's name, which I imagine is not as polite as Benedict said Leonardo's name. Yes. Uh, and Benedict gets to sort of twist that, the rule of three, right? 
we get two very straightforward names, and then he sort of calls you a name, which is kind of a low blow. If you can't, <laughs> if you can't express how you feel about someone using their name, then you make something up because you're not quick enough, you're not witty enough. So your go-to is an insult, and I think there's something to play there. Um, we can we can certainly move forward, but when we sort of come back to this, it's it's something to to look at, something to to play with. How you decide a name is said. What does that name mean to you as the as the character playing it? For sure. Thank you. Mike, do you want to take it? From what, my dear... Yeah, sorry. call her Lady Disdain again. What? My dear Lady Disdain, are you yet living? Is it possible Disdain should die while she hath such meat food to feed it as Signor Benedict? Courtesy itself must convert to Disdain if you come in her presence. Dennis, turn his... Then is courtesy a torn coat. But it is certain I am loved of all ladies, only you excepted. And I would I could find in my heart that I had not a hard heart. I love none. Oh dear. Fantastic. Happiness. Another <laughs> another great spot to another great spot to stop. Yes. Uh, so we have this great point of antithesis between Benedict and Beatrice. And of course, it's Beatrice that does it, because Benedict can't pull it off, which we will learn at the end of the scene. And also, as a general rule, let's just ignore all exclamation points. If you have an exclamation point, pretend it's a period. It, find your own means of expressing something. You don't need the punctuation to do it for you. Punctuation is going to give you a lot of what you need, but oftentimes in uh, translations, or not translations, it's still English, but when it's transferred uh, in different means and different formats, they'll fudge with the punctuation right yeah, mm -hmm. yeah yeah so exclamation points were very rarely used and when you see them they're probably not supposed to be there isn't uh, that for, yeah. for the lady disdain i imagine that could probably be a semicolon pretty successfully is the is the punctuation um thing even true for the folio scripts you know it's <sighs> when you're dealing with the folio script what you're dealing with is somebody who is sitting at this big block putting in letter by letter by letter every period every comma in an entire page so occasionally what you're running into is lack of material if you only have access to 20 commas to put on a page and your author put 30 on that page you have to get creative with your with your choices. Oh wow, I had never even thought about it like that. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that acknowledge it because it's there and it means something, but it might not mean what you think it means today. That's, An exclamation yeah. point is there because you needed something to fill that space. <laughs> also, am I reading this wrong, or are there just a a huge pack of dick jokes here? Oh, like is so, there more dick jokes than a pack of hot dogs or like or... so many dick jokes? And the worst part about it is I think the dick jokes get more relevant in the next scene <laughs> yeah. when they're oh talking boy. about death and murder. Oh, that's yeah. true. Lady Disdain, are you yet living? Uh, Beatrice, in a point of antithesis, throws this right back in Benedict's face. Uh, is it possible Disdain should die while she hath? So you have this this antithesis between living and death. So Benedict starts to spin a plate in the air, and Beatrice sort of continues that plate spinning more successfully than Benedict, uh, in my opinion, at least. Uh, and then, of course, you have the, uh, if you come in her presence, I'm a big fan of dick jokes. 
Uh, I mm. also know that sometimes we look at dick jokes and we're like, that's a dick joke, and it's not a dick joke. I think this one is very uh-huh. successfully a dick joke. Absolutely. But is absolutely. But is the hard heart also a dick joke? Oh, it's a hard heart. Well, yeah. Oh, I see that one as one as, too. As 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 the re- as as looking at the lines. Sure. I mean, yeah, even the I way mean, it's written. It, what I could find in my heart that I had not a hard heart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just the way it is written. And I know you can't see that listening to the podcast, but that's how it's written. So, you know, it, it could just be a happy accident, but it's something that you could use. And I think the the sort of looking at the sex jokes that might be a sex joke, might not be a sex joke, is a really nice in for people who think Shakespeare is boring. Absolutely. Because while that is an important part of that Benedict line, I would dare say that the most important part of that Benedict line is the ellipsis at the very end, the the uh, omission of only you accepted. So you have Benedict, but it is certain I am loved of all ladies, only you accepted. And if you look at that parallel framing at the end of the line, not a hard heart for truly I love none, the omission there you can assume is only you accepted. Because again, we find out in the next scene that he actually does love Beatrice. And this could be a Mm. moment of almost releasing that information and then very quickly drawing it back and allowing that to sort of sit. Maybe that's an earned pause in that moment. Maybe. Mm-hmm. And the presence of pauses here is a little bit more non-specific than in the context of iambic, because this is prose, correct? This is prose. There is very little iambic pentameter in this show, yeah, and most of, of it happens between Claudio and Don Pedro, um, uh, and that is something I really am interested well, in I mean, delving it's, it's into. That formal, it's that formal relationship. I think it's not only that formal relationship, but I think there is a level of heart-to-heart Don Pedro having this, wanting this relationship with Claudio, and maybe it not coming to full fruition, uh, because a number of reasons. Uh, perhaps Claudio's sexuality, or he's too young, or he's in love with a woman. You know, there's a lot to pick mm-hmm. apart in that. Yeah, for sure. That's really interesting as well. Um, Just for our listeners here, in general, what is the difference between prose and poetry? Prose and verse are two different styles in which Shakespeare wrote. It is not the only two, but it is the most prominent two. Um, I think the witches and Macbeth are... Trochaic? Trochaic, yeah, trochaic, they're trochaic. thank you. This, so they're Oberon and Puck also have some trochaic stuff. Mike and I were fighting that Exactly. So, um, and that's just a little less common. The main difference being that prose does not have a, a steady beat, uh, 10 beats to follow. Uh, if you think of an iambic line as a 10-syllable line, and within those 10 syllables, you have five feet. You have a stressed syllable and an unstressed syllable. You put five of those next to each other, and you have an iambic line. Prose doesn't do that. Prose allows for a little more of natural speech patterns without having to go ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. Right. Prose is more of uh, thinking, whereas verse is more from love or the heart, in a way. Well, of course it's from the heart. It's got the beat. Yes, exactly. I've often I've often heard it said that iambic pentameter resembles the beat of the heart. 
So frequently the use of iambic pentameter uh, is more constant as it comes to um, emotional or passionate circumstances. Where like Phil said, prose is a lot more thinky talky stuff, which makes a lot of sense for Beatrice, Beatrice and Benedict and who they are. Which is also why I'm super interested in delving into that Claudio Don Pedro relationship. Yeah, and why that verse is very pointedly different when the rest of it is so much more based because on the Because Benedict yeah. and Don Pedro certainly don't talk mm -hmm. to one another that way. That's really fascinating. I love that. I love that take. Okay, so do you want to go back to the script? Yeah, I mean, I think we could take it from that turncoat line again if Mike is ready. Then it's courtesy a t but it is certain I am loved of all ladies, only accepted, and I would I could find in my heart that I had not a hard heart for truly I love none. A dear happiness to women. They would else have been troubled with a pernicious suitor. I thank God and my cold blood. I am of your humor for that. I had rather hear my dog bark at a crow than a man swear he loved me. I love this little bit of Beatrice's speech. Does everyone sort of know what the, the humors are? when I refer to the humors. Yeah, but do you want to offer some context for listeners? Sure, absolutely. So the idea of the four humors, we have uh, yellow bile, black bile, phlegm, and blood. Those would be the sort of four humors. And each of those correlate to a sort of a different element. And if you think about it, the symbolic nature of the number four flies through history. Beatrice in this moment talks about one of her humors, her blood. Uh, which is usually identified as a uh, hot substance, and she defines it as cold. Um, and and I th and I think that's I think that's a lot of fun because not only is she talking about her humor and how it is a juxtaposition of what it should be, she's also taking the element that is connected to blood as a humor, which would be air. And putting it right into her line, she's talking about a, she would rather hear a dog bark at a crow than a man swear he loves me. So Beatrice not only knows her four humors, but knows their correlations. And she's very smart in how she puts all that information together. She's very witty. I think that we can take it from that line again. Mostly, I, I just wanted to stop really to brag about how well that Beatrice bit is written. Uh, I want to let you guys starting. finish this scene, and then I have a few more things to talk about, but I'm going to let you get to the end of the scene before I interrupt you again. A dear happiness to women. They would else have been troubled with a pernicious suitor. I thank God and my cold blood. I am of your humor for that. I had rather hear my dog bark at a crow than a man swear he loves me. God, keep your leadership still in that mind, so some gentleman or other shall scape or predestinate scratched face <laughs> scratching could not make it worse and twere such a face as yours were well you are a rare parrot teacher a bird of my tongue is better than a beast of yours i would my horse had the speed of your tongue and so good a continuum <laughs> but keep your way if god's name i have done you always end with a jade's trick i know you of old Fantastic. So, uh, a couple things. Mike, it's ladyship, not leadership. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and do you know what you're saying there? Yes, I'm calling her a cat. She's calling me a dog. That's a fantastic interpretation of that, and that's not what I saw. So, that's why I love talking to the actors. 
because just because as a director i see one thing doesn't mean there aren't a thousand different ways to play that that make just as much if not more sense and a lot of times that information can be layered so what i see in that little joke that little tidbit right there is a syphilis joke actually Uh, (laughs) yeah so um yeah i mean god keep your ladyship still in mind so the fact that you are that beatrice is going to not engage with men is a good thing because she would just give them syphilis yeah Uh, and how you dealt with syphilis was you would cover uh your face with a velvet patch um yeah it's a very common moment and as you like it uh where uh what's his name has a, a velvet patch on his face that's awesome. So I'm I'm assuming she then turns around back at him with you're so ugly you literally couldn't get uglier if you had syphilis. Sure, sure. I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> yeah. Exactly what that is. And then what I love, I love this moment because I think a really strong Benedict can find this of well, you are a rare parrot teacher. Guess who is coming late to the joke? <laughs> Beatrice makes this connection of air, blood, crows. And then six lines later, Benedict is like, yeah, parrots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And then uh, does everyone know what a Jade's trick is? Actually, I was going to ask for a clarification on that because I don't. So a Jade's trick refers to retiring old horses. Oh. And it was more commonly used in the vernacular as a means of retiring old whores. <laughs> so is what she's saying to him there essentially that he's reusing bad old humor? Exactly. I think she's also calling him a tired whore. <laughs> nice. You know, she's like literally like basically your jokes are tired. Yeah, okay. Exactly. That's, yep, all right. Yeah, that's really okay, cool. I would say if neither of you had have any questions, I encourage you to have questions, but if not, let's go ahead and record this. See what happens. Uh where's I got, cool. I got a question. Where's Benedict at? Your mind. Where is he at where in terms of like emotionally unstable? He, yeah, Sorry, yeah, what? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, are we all? Uh like is he good at being bad like it's like oh he's he's trying so hard like he's in obviously he's endearing to some extent the interpretation of benedict that i have like if i play benedict in the future my interpretation of benedict is that he's kind of like this this man that has always just failed up (laughs) and he's like never really been he's never really been put in his place by anybody that's that's ever been like in his sphere because he's maybe just a little higher on the rung than all of his friends in some capacity. I think that is a very valid interpretation. Um, I know there is a part in the text that says uh, something to the effect of Benedict is never in a single unit for very long. So I always sort of imagine he gets grading Mm. over time and he's pretty good at jumping around and being in different places so he doesn't grate on any single person too long, but Beatrice just sees through that like glass. Absolutely. Absolutely. Alright, ready? Yes. While this next scene is longer, I think that all the work that we have done in this first scene is going to pretty easily translate into that next scene, which means I think we can do it a lot faster. Um, and also, that is part of uh, part of the thesis that I wrote. Actually, was about 
expediting rehearsal time and doing that through cue scripts. Um, that could be a podcast mm. for another time, but we can talk about repeating cues and double cues and recurring cues and what that entails for the memorization process and what that means for speeding up rehearsals. Um, the idea of needing everyone uh, in a rehearsal space for three weeks, four weeks, five weeks is absurd. Mm -hmm. um, if everyone comes in prepared, I can do my job as a director in one week. Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, Gotta know your. You know what I mean? Um, it, you know, it mm -hmm. leaves a, it leaves a little more to the to the actors, absolutely. And it, you know, it takes away some of that directorial fun of helping the actors find a lot of that. But by doing a lot of this work very slowly at the beginning, makes everything move much faster later on. Once we all have a common language to speak from, we just start flying. Well, like just happened here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> technology is there to do the bookwork in a setting kind of out of necessity as we're doing here exactly there's always alternatives to you know get with other actors outside of the rehearsal space i was very concerned about how this digital format would work trying to direct right. and i i think this is a very successful test oh that's so opinion. fun i'm really glad that we all got to kind of find that out together hairspray hairspray Ooh, hairspray actually wait shane before we start for um, yep. context purposes, can you offer a little bit of a snippet? So the scene we are approaching right now is in the middle of 4-1. Hero has just been accused of adultery. She has been accused of sleeping with a random man. And this is not true, but Claudio and Don Pedro are led to believe it is. And this is let out on her wedding day at the altar, yeah? Correct. This is something that we find out right before the vows at that point claudio and uh don pedro leave and beatrice and the family and benedict stay behind and the men who left claudio and don pedro uh, are under the assumption that hero has died in this moment so yeah this has been a big blowout with a pretty tragic end on a lot of you know in a lot of facets yeah yeah and hero is not dead um but we will find out that there is some trickery going into the end of this show where we are leading certain characters to believe that Dude, she is it's dead. always the damn friar they're mm -hmm. always telling always. people to fake their death them friars sleeping ladies uh, this scene essentially is the pivotal scene though for beatrice and benedict absolutely like, it really, yeah. this this really solidifies like, their relationship because it takes it, yeah. And it really takes all of their playful banter from that first scene and shows you how the communication style isn't going to change, but the context exactly. is going to change. Lady Beatrice, have you wept all this while? Yay, and I will weep a while longer. I will not desire that. You have no reason. I do it freely. Surely I do believe your fair cousin is wrong. How much might the man deserve of me that would right her? Is there any way to sow such friendship? Very even way, but no such friend. May a man do it? It is a man's office, but not yours. I do love nothing in the world so well as you. Is that not strange? As strange as the thing I know not or it's possible for me to say I love nothing so well as you, but believe me not, and yet I lie not. I confess nothing, nor I deny nothing. I am sorry for my cousin. By my sword, Beatrice, thou lovest me. 
Do not swear and eat it. I will swear by it that you love me, and I will make him eat it that says I love you not. Will you not eat your word? With no sauce that can be devised to it. I protest, I love thee. Why then, God forgive me. What offense, sweet Beatrice? You have stayed me in a happy hour. I was about to protest. I I love you with so much of my heart that none is left to protest. Come, bid me do anything for thee. Kill Claudia. <laughs> Not for the whole world. You kill me to deny it. Farewell. Terry, sweet Beatrice. You dare easier be friends with me than fight with mine enemy. Is Claudio thine enemy? Is he not approved in the height a villain that hath slandered, scorned, dishonored my kinswoman? Oh, God, that I were a man, I would eat his heart in the marketplace. Hear me, Beatrice. Sweet hero, she is wronged, she is slandered, she is undone. Oh, that I were a man for his sake, or that I had any friend would be a man for my sake. But manhood is melted into courtesies, valor into compliment, and men are only turned into tongue and trim ones too. I, I cannot be a man with wishing, therefore I will die a woman with grieving. Terry, good Beatrice, by this hand I love thee. Use it for my love some other way than swearing by it. Think you in your soul that Count Claudio hath wronged Hero? Yea, as sure as I have a thought or a soul. Enough. I am engaged by this hand. Claudio shall render me a dear account. Go, comf comfort your cousin. I must say she is dead, and, and so farewell. Yeah, 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 snap, snap, snap. So a couple things, really. That was a, a great first pass at this scene. What I would encourage you to think about as we move forward in sort of discussing what this scene entails is that you both fell into the trap of knowing this show before the audience. Ah, uh, yep, okay. yep, you yep. Knew, yeah, yeah. yeah, you both knew where this scene was going before it got mm -hmm. there, which means there were a lot of uh, moments that we missed because we were so focused on getting ready for that yeah, yeah. Kill Claudio, that, that emotional angst that is mm -hmm. there, but maybe not so evenly placed so like all exactly. throughout. I think Benedict has a bit of an arc here of, you know, where he's falling of, do I do this? Do I not do this? Did she really ask me that? And we'll discuss some specific. And Beatrice, the same thing. Uh, you certainly have every right to be upset in this moment, but we're going to talk about some moments of variation. Good, yeah. So, so the audience has a chance to learn all of this at the same time you are both learning all of this. One of the, like, right off the top, we have an embedded stage direction. For those of you listening, an embedded stage direction is something that is written into the script that allows actors to uh, make a physical movement where you don't need a director because the text is telling you to do something. And in this moment, Lady Beatrice, have you wept all this while? And what that is implying is that at the top of this moment, Beatrice is in tears. So we have an emotional state for Beatrice right off the top. Benedict, I think, is a little a little more difficult to pinpoint uh, sort of where he's coming from because all of this is news to him. This is all sort of happening, whereas Claudio and Don Pedro were aware of all of this. Benedict was very much left in the dark. And, and so 
he probably doesn't know how what the right approach mm -hmm. is and i think you sort of played that in the beginning and i want you to play with that a little more of how does he approach this conversation mm -hmm. okay there was a little bit of that trying to be playful and then realizing she was crying cool. and i and i think you can i think you can get into that a little more yeah i think well again i think it kind of goes back to benedict's character he is kind of naive naively self-absorbed in a way that like yes I've, i'm in this moment right now going to profess my love to beatrice that is what i'm having that is what i'm doing yeah 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 and then like wait there's something else going on what <laughs> and uh, what is going on before you get there you have this lot of uh i will not desire that and i and i think there's an interesting quandary here of is that is that a moment of trying to comfort beatrice or a moment of Benedict being uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, that's a fun, that's a, that's a fun thing to play with. Beatrice, I, you know, I hate to boil this down to really poor paraphrasing, but I think you're gonna get a lot out of it more than, you are smart enough and talented enough where I can give you this oh, yes. stupid paraphrase and I think it'll make a lot of sense. Because you have no Can't reason I do it freely. For me, that uh, I do it freely, I don't need a man or his permission. And then your next line about much might the man deserve is her being like okay i kind of need a man and then your next line a very even way but no such friend you're going back no i don't need a man and then that last little in that last section <laughs> it is a man's office but not yours and if i did need a man it you. wouldn't be you yeah exactly exactly okay. and i think within your sadness there is joy in being able to verbally spar with Benedict in this moment and win. Right, yeah. Uh, I think he he's a doofus and not really getting this moment emotionally, but the fact that he is there for you speaks volumes about the That's relationship you two, because then you think have. about it that way as someone that has both seen the show a lot and am now doing these lines, it kind of gives you some more more direction to go to with the with the rest of the scene right like it kind of exactly kind of gives you a new perspective to see that unfolding I, I love the i do love nothing in the world so i just like that is the funniest thing to happen right now like she's emotionally breaking down and he's like well i love you i love you and she's yeah. like and she's just like she's just like what is happening i think breaking it down the way he just broke it down saying that like even in this moment where she her she's trying to hide her pain the extent of her pain in a way that makes her makes it so she's not vulnerable in and just like benedict. beatrice sees through right. benedict benedict sees right. through and beatrice it's in this it's in this finally catching up with it is a man's office but not yours oh she's ribbing me <laughs> but also she's she's sort of daring and, you right and like she, she's it, you know it's not your office because we had our moment in our yeah. past and it's and funny it's because over. then she lobs him the ball and then he takes it and it's like well funny story i'm in love with you like <laughs> you know so it's like it's like this empty confession but also kind of like where you're gonna take that buddy you know like, <laughs> yeah. like well, yeah. it's not that and straight you, you know <laughs> like if you guys both play a higher tempo at the top of this scene, that's going to give him a fantastic... I want it, I want him to take a full beat before that line. Like, really contemplate... So it's not spilling out. It's... 
Yeah, it's not. No, it, it, I, I think, think it's calculated. Is. I think it has to be. If it was gonna spill out, it would have spilled out forever ago. Mm-hmm. It's not a spilling out. It's a re, a, a, a recackling of this fire. I do love that. Also, him saying he loves her is just him hitting her back with the thing she hates to hear so much. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I had a huge question mark uh, in my script next to this moment because I I don't know what to bring to that moment. I feel like it is the actors on stage that make that moment real and make it palatable and make it something that isn't just an abs- what's assumed to be absurd request. Uh, it's sort of, it's like, you know, it's no man's office, especially not yours. But if, you know, if you're going to open up your heart to me in that way perhaps I can open up my heart to you in a similar way. Unfortunately, her heart's desire right now is to kill Claudia, which we're not there yet. So the next line, uh, Beatrice, as strange a thing I know, there's a great balancing act in this in this moment between your emotion and your logic. You have this, this isocolon, which is a rhetorical term referring to how things um, appear grammatically in a sentence. And you have, but believe me not, and yet I lie not, I confess nothing, nor I deny nothing. Do you see how those, you have, uh, you see how those are sort of mirroring yes. one another? Maybe not in the the language, but how it's grammatically structured. Yes. I think that lends itself to Beatrice being a very heady individual, but in this moment, not knowing how to digest that information. Even if Benedict loved you at one point in time, it was lust-driven a dozen years ago, you know what I mean? And for him to wholeheartedly, in this very raw moment for for mostly you, uh, to reveal that, I think that says something about his character, and I think how you take that says a lot about your character. And then you have this great parenthesis moment at the end, that sort of pop-up thought of, I'm sorry exactly. for my cousin. Uh, I almost cut. I almost cut that. Oh, I think it's. I think decided... it's so good, though. I think it's so good because it's for me, it's um, you know, it's she's having that emotional kind of back and forth with herself before that, and that's like the one thing that she's certain of right now. Yeah, it's a grounding point for her. It's almost like she's talking to herself out loud. I do this. I do no, exactly. No, she's like, yeah, I can't. No, uh, I. Uh, I think this thing, but I don't cousin. think this thing, and I just, I'm sorry for my cousin. That's, 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 like, you know, I have so. to change the subject. Like. Exactly. So it's like, okay, so back to the cousin. We're talking about the cousin. We're not talking about love. Cousin. Yeah. <laughs> like. Exactly. Exactly. There are, there are a list of things that I have to deal with right now. And why the heck did you just put exactly. that one on my plate? This is, this now needs to be fifth. Yeah on my priorities so not right now yeah the next couple lines back and forth between you i think you can sort of leak in a bit back of that sexuality you're talking about swords you're talking about eating it you're talking about (laughs) vows and you're talking about men eating those swords who would talk poorly about benedict like anyone who says benedict doesn't love beatrice oh they're gonna eat this sword (laughs) And of course, <laughs> quite literally, that means killing them, quite figuratively, Boner Town. I mean, we've all eaten sword- swords before, right? Different podcast, different ah, podcast. Ah, the Bardcast After swords Dark. Swords on this podcast? Bardcast After Dark. So, I also have this note, and I don't know why. So, the note I have is, what offense, sweet Beatrice? What offense? The note I wrote down is, you are not a god. 
Because is it because she's saying, why then God forgive me? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's what, thank you, that's what it is. She's saying, God forgive me, and Benedict is like, you're mm. good. <laughs> Benedict, you're not a fucking God. <laughs> uh, I don't know, I don't know if that's where he's going with that, but okay. I mean, it doesn't have think, to be, think, that think, was in the moment of I think I'm saying, like, me. what sin have you committed? Like, why does God have to forgive you? What sin have you committed? What, what offense, sweet Beatrice? That makes more sense for a less pretentious spectacle, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Um, I actually have a question about the next line. The punctuation is is a little confusing. That you have stayed me in a you have stayed me in a happy hour. I was about to protest. I love you with so much of my heart that none is left to protest. What's what's being navigated there? I, I did do a little cutting there. So what I cut was uh, Benedict line and the end of Beatrice's line. So how that line reads is you have stayed me in a happy hour. I was about to protest. I loved you, Benedict, and do it with all thy heart. I love you with so much of my heart that none is left to protest. I cut that line for a couple of reasons. One, expediency. Mm -hmm. Two, I hate when women need permission from men in Shakespeare to say something. I think it adds an endless amount of time without adding a lot to the story. Right. Uh, so in for me, when I cut Shakespeare, what I try to do, I don't always succeed, uh, I try to be conscious of who is being cast and what roles in as far as sort of gender identification goes, mm -hmm. because I really don't like to cut women's lines. I don't feel like women are given enough to say in Shakespeare, and I think cutting those lines does a disservice in, I feel like, today's... PC culture. I would say, I would say, even like on a technical basis, since they talk less, usually what they have to say is more important. Sometimes, mm. uh, sometimes. Um, but even when it's not, I tend to try to not cut it for that reason. Um, but this was just one of those moments. You, you're gonna say something. You don't need Benedict to give you permission. Could we play it? Could we find a moment there? If we're when we're staging this, is there something there? Quite possibly. I don't think I cut that in the. Full version. I cut it for this scene. Oh, thank. You know what's. You know what's funny. I was just about to ask Shane for clarity if this was actually the much ado cut that we were performing from. Because <laughs> I was about to be like, we're gonna have to talk later about some of these cuts. <laughs> I I cut a lot of this down um, just to get points across. Right, exactly. More than right. uh, diving into super character for analysis sure, for stuff. For sure. For sure. For like the podcast. Just to sort of jump ahead a little bit and move on. Um, if we take a bit of a pause for Mike before I love thee, I think we get a bit of a pause before kill Claudio. But you have to earn those mm -hmm. pauses. Mm -hmm. And I know you know both know what that means, so I'm not going to go into detail about it. But those are two moments I want you to have your okay. beat. You just deserve it. Those two lines are bomb droppers. Right. Okay, cool. And then, Benedict, how do you react to that? Aha, not for the wide world. You could argue there's a sex joke in here. I don't think there is. There's something there, but I don't think it fits in this moment. Yeah, I feel like, yeah. Yeah, like, it doesn't, it doesn't quite the wrong, work. It'll also um, the wrong time for a sex joke. Yeah. Um, but are you being dismissive? Are you confused? Are you angry? And... And there's no reason you can't have at least two of those in this line. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can get more than three or four emotions in this line, but <laughs> oh, I think you one, can have two, three, two four, five, six, yeah. letter, six words. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for it. Yeah, I think you can get a a, a couple of really strong emotional shifts here. Uh, some pretty yeah, strong I mean, 180s. I mean, the, the way I see it is, is like at first it's just a, 
Like it's like it's like I'm taking it back, and then maybe then it gets stern, and it's like no, like yeah, like is do you think she's joking at first, or are you literally laughing at the idea? Yeah, I think it's in her face. Like, I think, and, and again, it it's going to be diff- you know, I think it's it, it's a transition that you see more than you hear, but I think it's. I think it's it's a it's an initial like gut punch. His brain kind of processing with followed by like, like no, I think that's a, not an option. And how do you do that on the sure, line? Sure, sure. Uh, and I think one of the ways you can do that is extending your ha. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be a single ha. It can be, but mm-hmm. there it's laughter. Sure, sure. There's there's a moment of of jovial upheaval. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know uh-huh. you know what I mean. You kind of you kind of cackle. Sure. A little bit. You don't have to keep it to ha. one. And then I think, <laughs> ha, yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be a single syllable ha. So great. So think think about that. The Terry Sweet Beatrice stuff was working really nicely. Beatrice, that I were a man, eat his heart in the marketplace. That, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's where you want to get to. In right, the scene. yeah. I think you started there a little right, early. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. Just because it was the first time mm-hmm. we did it. Uh, and you knew what was coming, so you wanted to be mentally prepared for it. But you have to allow Beatrice to to have those moments mm-hmm. herself. Right. Perfect. This is where I actually put the takeout exp- exclamation points uh, note because in this Beatrice monologue, they were all over the place, and I was like, "This is mm. dumb. I hate it." Right. Uh, yeah. The oh, that I were a man for his sake, or that I had any friend. Like, first off, who's putting an exclamation point after sake and before or without capitalizing or? Like, that's not a yeah. new <laughs> sentence. That's not how that works. Um, you have this great antithesis at the end of this where if uh, I cannot be a man with wishing, therefore I will die a woman with grieving. So I talked earlier about spinning plates. Here you're spinning two plates, so you have to keep them both going at the same Mm -hmm. time. Benedict, Terry, good Beatrice, by this hand, I love thee. I think there's an embedded stage direction there somewhere. I know that's hard for our auditory audience Mm -hmm. to see, um, but that again is that embedded stage direction that moment where the script is telling you to do something on stage I think I agree um, and in this moment I think Sounds yeah I think there's maybe a hand holding a face grabbing uh, 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 a caressing of some sort by this hand what are you doing with that hand maybe you're caressing your sword and not her you know what I mean there's a lot of places to go with it and then the last little thing I want to sort of talk about before I leave it to you two for any questions uh, and before we go and try to record it again is uh, again, a little bit of that mm-hmm. dirty talk. Uh, Terry, good Beatrice, by this hand I love thee. Use it for my love some other way than swearing by it. Yeah. Yes, she's talking about literally using his sword to kill Claudio. But, but is she but is she only saying one no. thing? No, no, she's you, not. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like I said, uh, all that work we did in the first scene translated really well to this scene you guys created a rapport between yourselves and then allowed new emotions to drive that uh, and i think you guys can do it again a couple times uh, i probably won't stop you because if the first one was that good going through it one or two more times and giving you notes in between i think will be plenty i think i feel good yeah i think i'm good based on what we just chatted about i mean for for now anyway you look good <laughs> mike always looks all good. right you ready Yes. So I think we just have a tiny moment left for everyone to say maybe one brief thing to the audience as we find our way out here. I'm going to start it 
with our favorite friend, Phil. Yeah, so this is, uh, for those listening, this is sort of the process that we, as a company, go through in in a rehearsal. So it's, it's great for all of you, although you're not seeing this, to like sort of hear what a director does in our company. You know, there's there's a lot of cooperative back and forth of ideas, even though it, you know, it is a director. We allow our actors to give us feedback back. So it's 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 great to for everyone to have heard that and for Shane to have been here because this is it's a great segue into like, you know, next season and like things to be, you know, staying tuned for. And also continuing episodes of this show where we will be prodding into many other facets of Shakespeare, and so getting this kind of very full-circle understanding of the kind of information that we throw around. It's pretty useful. Exactly. All right, Mike Lake. It's, it was nice to get together and have some uh, virtual directing, and, um, and I think my favorite part about the rehearsal process is when you're in a room with a bunch of people and you're all understanding some material on a new level all to kind of together as you're in making discoveries together but also being able to provide insights to your fellow performers and even bring in ideas to a director beyond what anyone experience could ever hope to imagine to bring to a show and uh, also having someone of the caliber of, of experience that all of the directors that we work with but especially our friend here Shane uh, is, is a big treat. Shay, do you have a last sentence to toss out? Yeah, I think that Mike makes some really good points, as it, and so does Phil, um, as it comes to the way that uh, collaborative directing can really bring out the best qualities in a production and in a performance. Because, of course, you know, there's, there's going to be someone at the helm to oversee where things are going. But at the same time, the more people are able to use their individual life experiences to offer those kind of unique perspective, the more the show is going to be able to flourish off of that plurality and live in a very multifaceted world in the way that we all do in real life. So I think that's one of the main contributing factors that, to me, makes the original practices style of directing um, a really useful one. And last but certainly not least, Shane, do you have any final words? It's me again. You know, I feel like you have all heard me be rather verbose <laughs> and nonsensical as the uh, collaborative director in this moment. Uh, I will keep it short and sweet. I had a fantastic time. This is this is what I live for. Uh, being able to direct really smart people saying really smart words we know words and they're good ones <laughs> exactly uh, i hope to be a guest star on the bardcast as often as you will have me this was this was great and uh i love working with performers uh this is this was this was a lot of fun thank you well just a giant thank you to everyone that's out there listening right now and also to all of you that are here with us today uh including Shay Fitzgerald, Phil Beattie, Mike Lake, and James Sespinkowski. Tune in next week for all new conversation and content. You can also visit our website at wilkemsplayers.com. Shoot us an email at weeklybardcast at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at wilkemplayers. We will be back soon for tonight. This above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow as night into day thou canst not then be false to any man. Farewell.